Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, another crazy week. Uh, let me put it this way. I'm going to put it in a very vulgar way. The crap is flying. It keeps flying. It's worse every week, and I'm getting sick and tired of it. And you must be getting sick and tired of it also. Uh, number one, I believe our government is degenerating. Uh, let me put it, let me approach it this way. I am 83 years old. I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot of our government. And our government's degenerated pretty much in the last 20, 25 years on a gradual basis, and now it seems to have accelerated into hell. Uh, Trump, he's to blame. But he's not totally to blame. We, got, we go back through Obama, through Clinton. We go back through Bush, through all the presidents. It just started getting worse and worse, and nobody's talking to anybody. I can't believe what's going on. Uh, let me approach this another way, too. This has turned in this Kavanaugh thing, his approval or non-approval, has turned into a male-female thing. From everything I can gather, uh, the men in this country support Kavanaugh because they're afraid someday some woman might accuse them of something sexually wrong when they didn't do it and they're going to have to defend against something like that whereas their wives believe believe uh, Dr. Ford so we got male female fighting within their own houses Uh, we've got the Democrats and Republicans fighting we got everybody else fighting each other. Everyone has an enemy in this country today. The, the blacks have the police. Uh, the whites have the, uh, the, the white nationals. Uh, everything's wacky. Where are we going? We're fall, we are falling apart. That's what the man's trying to say. We are falling apart. And it seems to be coming to a head now with this fight over Kavanaugh and his ascendancy, yes or no, to the United States Supreme Court. The way this whole thing is being handled is an absolute disgrace. The FBI can investigate, but they can only do it this way. Two days later, well, they can add a little bit more on, but we've got to control this. We've got a time factor. This guy's going to be on the bench for 30 years. Let's make sure he's the right guy because he doesn't impress me. And not because he's a Republican. He does not impress me because... I am a retired attorney. I practiced law 46 years. I was before every court in this country except the United States Supreme Court. I was in the Circuit Courts of Appeals. I was in the Court of Appeals in New York State. I was in the Appellate Courts. I was in the Federal District Courts for trial. I was in the Supreme Court of New York State for trials. I never saw a judge with this disposition. Oh, my God. I've even had judges yell at me. Uh, But not like this guy did during his interview, his most recent one. Uh, he, he doesn't have the disposition. He's a liar. He's been caught in so many lies here. And with all due respect, I can't help but believe he, he was screwing around. Uh, he was a bad guy. Uh, he was a philanderer, and he sought to take advantage of women. Uh, now, we're going to come to a point in this country, and this is what's important. I believe we're heading for revolution. I've said this before, and I'm saying it tonight. Not tomorrow, not next year, not the year after, but three years from now it's possible, four years from now, five years from now. People are not happy. They're not going to put up with the shit that's going on. And at some point, even though we may be fighting each other, it'll be like a civil war, 
people are not going to put up with this stuff. And they're going to say, enough's enough, and if we have to change the government, we will. And before you know it, they're going to be up the steps of the White House. So that's how I feel about all that's going on here. This brings me now to the Kavanaugh thing, to something most people are not aware of. There is something in this country called the Judicial Conference of the United States. Judicial Conference of the United States. Short, it's referred to as the Federal Judicial Conference. Now, it consists only of federal judges, from the Supreme Court down to the trial court, which is the U.S. District Court. Uh, It includes the circuit court on which Kavanaugh now sits. It's headed by the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Rogers, and he has a smattering of judges from all kinds of federal courts on sort of his board of directors, and they take care of things like administrative policy for the courts. They reassign judges temporarily from one area to another because they get backed up in some area and they have to move a New Jersey judge to Oklahoma or something. And they recommend legislation affecting the courts to Congress. They also, and this is why I am sharing this with you because I'm waiting to hear from them and I don't know if we are, on rare occasions, they are authorized to investigate federal judges, they are authorized to investigate federal judges who are accused of criminal malfeasance. Criminal malfeasance. Now, what does criminal malfeasance mean? It covers a multitude of sins. It covers lying under oath, which I believe Kavanaugh has done. Uh, it covers female philandering, philandering with women. It, it, with women. It, it It's concerned with the reputation and the good name of the federal courts. Now, I'll tell you how important this is to this group. They can impeach. They can recommend impeachment. If they think something's amiss with one of the judges, they can recommend that the Congress impeach him. And... They can do this without an investigation by the FBI, the Secret Service, or anybody else. They can do it based simply on media reports. Yes, based on media reports. And if they feel based on their quiet, secret, unknown investigation that there's something wrong here, they will recommend for impeachment a judge. Now, I think Kavanaugh, forget the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh right now on the circuit court, the Washington, D.C. Circuit Court, stands ready after all this bullshit of the last couple of months. He stands ready to be investigated and referred for impeachment. And if the United States, if the Congress of the United States won't do it, then it should be done by the Judicial Conference because he is hurting, he is affecting, he's demeaning the name and reputation of our federal judiciary. Now, There's something interesting that comes into this thing along the way here. Guess who recommends, out of this whole system, this judicial conference, who recommends a judge to Congress to be impeached? The chief judge of the district, uh, I'm sorry, the chief judge of the circuit court for Washington, D.C. Now, that is the court that Kavanaugh sits on, though he's not the chief judge. But his boss on that court would have to recommend him. Now, if this is not a hell of a situation, I don't know what is, and I don't know what would happen if we got to that point. 
It's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. I don't know where this is going to end up. Uh, The people, our people, you, me, everyone else in this country are going to lose faith in our court system if this man goes to the Supreme Court. The people have seen him eyeball to eyeball on TV. They've heard the testimony of Dr. Ford. Uh, They've read other things about him. Uh, He's not qualified. He, he he shouldn't even have been nominated, okay, for the seat. And he's lucky, I'm going to tell you, he could be lucky before this whole thing is over to keep the seat he presently has on the circuit court. Okay. Pompeo, Pompeo, Michael Pompeo is our Secretary of State. Smart guy. Number one in his class at West Point, top of his class at Harvard Law. Uh, served, I don't know how many years, in the United States Congress, and was a military officer for years. Very intelligent, very well respected. Now, as Secretary of State, he has his plate full. He's dealing every day with Iran, North Korea, Syria, China. Uh, This guy's got a full plate. He's got a lot of work. And understand this, he does not have a full staff. Trump has never... Because he doesn't believe, when he took office, he took the presidency over, he says, you know, we got too many people in the State Department. So he hasn't appointed a lot of people he should have appointed. So Pompeo is working with a short staff, understand that too, and he's working his ass off. This is a tough job being Secretary of State. Now, I don't understand something he came up with about 10 days ago. Understand, very intelligent, well-educated. He does not like the way the staff of the State Department is writing their papers, their letters, uh, anything they have to write. He thinks they're using too many commas, too many commas. You heard me. You know what a comma is, too many commas. And he sent a memo out to the entire staff outlining proper comma usage. He wants them to use something called the Oxford comma. I never even heard of the Oxford comma until I read about this. Uh, and it's using more or less commas. Now, he thinks the way they're writing now, by the way, the way I write, the way I use commas, is the way I do it, and it's not the Oxford comma. Very few people use the Oxford comma method of utilizing commas. Uh, Why he likes this, I don't know. Why he has to change a whole State Department, thousands of employees, if not hundreds of thousands of employees, and they got to train themselves to use the Oxford comma, because he considers it bad grammar to use the regular commas the way we all use them. Uh, he hates commas, okay? And I've got to say this. I, I, I thought about this, commas. Whoever taught me about commas, think who taught you about how to use commas. Nobody. We were taught how to write and be grammatically correct. I don't know anyone teaching me where to put the comma or the semicolon. To this day, I have trouble with semicolons. I use commas where I think they're appropriate. I practiced law for 46 years. I wrote briefs. I wrote all kinds of papers. I went to college. I wrote term papers. I I, I wrote a newspaper column here for several years. Uh, I've written other things here in Key West. And... uh, Nobody ever complained about my commas. And I use commas based on my instinct because you develop this automatically as you go along. So I don't know why Pompeo wants them to switch the type of commas they are using 
does not make sense to me. He's got enough to worry about. Forget about the commas. Now, we all know what the finger is, okay? You know what the finger, your middle finger, you give it to somebody. It's called, what, the bird, flip the bird. Uh, <laughs> impolite, somewhat disgusting, disgusting, uh, but interesting. You can't be arrested for giving a police officer the finger because the courts have universally held the federal courts that it's constitutionally protected free speech. A woman uh, in some state, I, I don't recall the state here, but she was stopped recently for speeding by a police officer. He turned out to be a nice guy. He only gave her a warning ticket. She didn't care. She didn't like it. And then she started up to drive away. She gave the police officer the finger. So he stopped her again. She went about two feet. He says, okay, I'm taking back the warning. I'm giving you a ticket for speeding. And he says, I'm really giving it to you because you gave me the finger. And he testified in court. That's why he gave it to her, because she gave him the finger. Well, this, court, this case went all the way to a federal court. And the judge said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, it's, constitu- it's protected free speech to use your middle finger. And then there are cases on this universally for the last 50 to 70 years in this country. Not in good taste, but okay to do it. Which brings me now to mooning. We all know what mooning is. You know, somebody turns around and drops their pants over, drops their pants and flashes their ass at you. And that's taken to be an insult. It's called mooning. Well, last Thursday, in Dublin, Ireland, at the Dublin airport, a fellow by the name of Peter Kehoe, age 23, and his girlfriend were late to catch a plane. They were in in a hurry to catch a 7 a.m. flight to Amsterdam. They got to the counter too late. I'm talking to the door. You go through to go down the runway onto the airplane. It was closed, locked. The girl said, the attendants, you can't, the plane's already moving, you're too late. He didn't listen to her. He wasn't happy. He smashed open the door somehow. He went running, he left his girlfriend back there, went running down the runway, ran out on the tarmac on the airfield, and the, tr- the plane is moving slowly, but it's moving down the runway, and he's running after it, shouting, wait. Well, ain't going to go no place. And the personnel for the airline, it was Ryanair, uh, tackled him and stopped him, and the police came, and they arrested him. Now they take Peter to jail, to a judge, rather, and he's charged with, he wasn't charged with much. Uh, The charge was he did damage to a door lock. That's all. They didn't charge him with going on to the tarmac or anything like that and chasing an airplane. And he was released in his own cognizance, his own custody, to come back for a trial someday. And when he left the courthouse, there was a mob of people, because this had spread through town, through Dublin. This is interesting. Why would a guy chase a plane? The reporters were there, were cameras, there were bystanders. And when he came out and he saw all these people, uh, he turned around, he dropped his pants, and he mooned them. Now the question comes up. Is this, this is in Ireland, but if it was in the United States too, it, in our country, is this constitutionally 
protected free speech if you moved somebody, you flashed their ass at them. I gave this some thought because this is an interesting question. I have never, never come across a mooning case that was considered, con- of course, I never practiced with cases like this, but was constitutionally protected free speech. I think it doesn't fly because at the very least it's indecent exposure and it's probably justified to arrest the person for mooning because indecent exposure. Now, want to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. We are into an era of pedophilia. We are into an era where it includes not only boys, but girls, little girls, little boys. We are into an era where not only Jehovah's Witnesses, but the Catholic Church, big time, not just in our country, throughout the world. Uh, The priests were doing this, may still be doing it, I don't know. And the Catholic Church, if you recall, their bishops failed to report it to authorities. This issue just came up in the last five years, but they, they should report it, and they've got to report it now. It's a crime, and it should be reported by the superior cleric, which would be the bishop or a cardinal or an archbishop. And with Jehovah Witnesses, there was a clergy member, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I'm going to describe to you occurred in Montana with Jehovah Witnesses. There was a, a, a clergy member of Jehovah's Witnesses. And this goes back, I don't know how many years ago, but two young girls were victimized, were sexually assaulted by this male clergy minister of Jehovah Witnesses. Now, 20 or 30 years later, they both sued the same time Jehovah Witnesses. And they sued Jehovah Witnesses for this reason. They were sexually abused. The man who did it, the clergyman who did it, was expelled from the congregation. But he could return, and he did return when he repented, and he repented. And the national organization said to the local in Montana, don't report this to the authorities. In fact, it wasn't a recommendation. They ordered the local Jehovah Witnesses not to uh, reported to the authorities, which they did not. So these women sue Jehovah Witnesses, the national organization, saying this was wrong. And guess what? They got a jury verdict, these two young ladies, of $35 million. That's a hell of a lot of money. And I want to tell you, a few more verdicts like this, even against the Catholic Church hierarchy, will cut the bullshit here and get rid of this problem quickly. Uh, And the message that came out from this Jehovah Witness case, the result being $35 million, it presented a clear message to Jehovah Witnesses. It presented a clear message to the Catholic Church and any other religions where this is going on. And the message is you must report child abuse to outside agencies. You must report child abuse to outside agencies. I want to talk about mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are a big deal down here in the Keys. Let me tell you, we've we got a mosquito problem because we've got water all over the place. We've got heat. We've got humidity. Uh, it rains a lot. And we're very serious about it. I've got to say this. We have, an, uh, we have a uh, mosquito control board. The members are elected. The budget isn't the, the board is elected. The, uh, the budget's in the millions of dollars. 
and they're spraying all the time and they're doing this and that. And every month, let me tell you, everyone's home, the outside perimeter of your home, they come on your property and they walk around the house. They're looking for little pools of water. And if they see it, they let you know and they say, please get rid of this and don't let it happen again. Because do you know that a capful, a capful, a little capful of water can hold 3,000 mosquito eggs. Now, let's go to North Carolina and Florence. Florence was a hell of a tropical storm hurricane, what, two weeks ago. Flooded three states. You saw the flooding. I mean, people are still out of the homes. The water hasn't receded totally. A lot of water and a lot of heat. It's still warm there, okay? Well, the mosquitoes came out. I'm laughing, but this is serious. They don't have a mosquito control board like we do to keep these things away from us. The mosquitoes are three times their normal size. The mosquitoes that have appeared in North Carolina because of the flooding are three times their their normal size. They are now at an epidemic level. They started appearing three or four days after the flooding. And the experts tell us this is from the floodwaters. And it picked up the eggs, eggs, mosquito eggs, that wouldn't have given birth or whatever the term is for another year. They would have laid dormant for another year were it not for the flooding, these eggs. And now because of the flooding, they've all been blown into the air and they have a big time mosquito problem that two, three, four, five, six months from now, people are going to be coming down with serious illnesses as a result of mosquito bites. Where am I now? Where am I now? I want to stay with Florence for a minute. I remember when I became a lawyer back in 1960, and I started practicing. And I used to do all kinds of work the first couple of years before I specialized. And I used to represent people who got arrested for stealing, assault. My first case I ever tried, five and a half weeks, was a murder first case. Would you believe it? Never in a courtroom before I tried a murder first case, which I won. But anyhow... Even traffic tickets we used to try back then. There were a bunch of young lawyers, fellows like I, three or four of us. We wanted to be trial lawyers. And the only place we could get trial experience was trying every piece of garbage that came along. And that included traffic cases, red lights, speeding, and everything else. The judges hate us, hated us, but we wanted the experience, and that was the only way to get it. So I learned that young policemen are probably just as bad as young lawyers. Some police officers, you put the uniform on them and they become God Almighty. They, they, they think they're omnipotent. They can do no wrong. They know everything. And they behave like first-class asses. Here's the story. And it involves Emma, Florence rather, and we're back in North Carolina. Uh, a woman, Tammy Hedges. Now, you know the flooding that went on in North Carolina, Okay. Tammy Hedges wanted to run a not-for-profit animal shelter. She formed a not-for-profit business called Crazy Claws and Paws. Crazy Claws and Paws. Uh, It was in the process of construction when Florence hit. It wasn't finished, but she could bring animals in to shelter them. Uh, She wasn't open for business. She didn't have a permit to shelter yet because she wasn't ready to shelter yet. She was merely building the place, okay? 
And all of a sudden, people were bringing animals to her place. She ended up taking in 17 cats and 10 dogs. She didn't go out to look for them. She didn't ask for them. She didn't get paid by the owners for caring for them. She just did it as a good soul who apparently likes animals. That's why she's going into that business. And everybody should be happy because those 17 cats and 10 dogs would probably have died. Okay, they would have been drowned. Well, guess what? The fella in Wayne County, North Carolina, in charge of animal services, he calls her up. He chews her ass out. He threatens to arrest her because she doesn't have a permit to run a shelter. Does it make sense to you? We're in an emergency situation. All those people out of their homes, water over the tops of some of these houses. And she offers her place free of charge, doesn't solicit, bring them up. I'll keep them until you come back and get them if you can. And this guy's going to have her arrested for not operating with a permit. Okay, I want to talk about Ted Williams. I don't know how, how many of you remember Ted Williams, baseball player, big, 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 Hall of Famer, one of the biggest, greatest baseball players in the history of this country. Uh, did some big things, did some big things. Um, in 1941, for example, he was the last day of the season. He's in the high 300s with his batting average. He can he can uh, bat over 400. No one has since 1930 in Bill Terry. But he has to have a good day. He's playing in a doubleheader. He played for Boston. He's playing in a doubleheader against the Philadelphia Athletics. And guess what? He went six for eight. Now, that's a baseball player. Six for eight and ended the season at 406 for his batting average. Now, the last day he retired in 1960, his last time at bat, he hit a home run. That's the kind of guy he was. He made sure he hit a home run this last time at bat. During World War II and the Korean War, he left the Boston Red Sox and went into the Marine Marines. He was a Marine pilot in both wars. War. He was in a shooting plane, okay? He retired in 1960, bought a home in the Florida Keys in Isle Morada. That's what the story's about. Isle Morada, where the hurricane where uh, Irma hit the worst was El Morada. El Morada is about 35, 40 miles up the road from me here. And he retired in 1960, bought a home in El Morada because he was an avid fisherman. He loved to fish. He loved to fish. His home was on the bay side. He loved to fish, this guy. And he finally moved in 1988, 28 years later. And do you know why he sold his house and moved? Because US-1 is the, is the road that goes through Almorada. US-1 goes through all our keys here. And there ain't much land on either side of that highway. It's a two-lane highway. He, re, he sold his home and left Almorada when he had to wait to cross the road, to cross US-1, to get to the other side. When he moved there, he could walk across. There was little traffic. Now it's 1988, and you took your life in your hands when you crossed US-1. That's Ted Williams' story in the Florida Keys in Almorada. Um, I want to talk about Key West here, too. I want to share some local things with you, like the Ted Williams story. In, the, in 1955, the motels here had wars. There was nothing at the Mallory Square end of town, at the Gulf end of town. Everything, the buildings were at the Atlantic Ocean end of town. And, they, and the, right after World War II, they put up several 
uh, motels, and they're still there today. They're erected in the style of construction in those days. There was no business here. There weren't people coming here. And in 1955, one of the motel owners put up a sign, double rooms, $2 a night. $2 a night. So they called a meeting of him and the other motel owners, and they said, hey, you can't do this. We're going to go broke. So they all decided they would play by the rules and just use the usual prices. They went out for about two weeks. They're still not making money. So you know what they did? In late September uh, in 1955, the price war, the motel price war in Key West went crazy. The eight motels here posted signs offering free rooms to tourists. Free rooms to tourists. That's my show for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope I didn't alienate some of you with my thoughts about Kavanaugh and what's happening now. Our country is degenerating. We have to face it. Um, I'm doing a Key West Lou Live on Facebook every day, about three or four minutes. Uh, take a look at it, Key West Lou Live. I, I say one of these things that I spent a half hour talking about things. Uh, Irma and me is still out there. People are still buying it. Not as many. Make me happy. Buy my book about the hurricane. It's the only one written on Irma. Irma and me. Get it through Amazon.com. In the meantime, I thank you for joining me again this week. I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>